hearing is an important part of enjoying life. Unfortunately, one in 10 Americans experience some degree of hearing loss. And hearing loss is not limited to older people. In fact, 65% of people with hearing loss are under the age of 65. In this edition of Health Styles, audiologist Jennifer Schunk from Sarah Bush Lincoln Audiology will answer your questions about all things related to hearing, including testing and when to get tested, the latest developments in hearing aid technology, surgical options, and how to preserve the hearing you already have. Don't go away, we'll be right back after this. Offering services in Mattoon, Effingham, and Vandalia, the audiology team at Sarah Bush Lincoln provides a complete range of diagnostic and rehabilitation services to patients of all ages, including testing, hearing aid services, and hearing conservation programs. Our audiologists work with and provide referral services to ENT specialists and speech-language pathologists. Don't miss out on the best things in life. Contact Sarah Bush Lincoln Audiology and let us make a difference. Call 217-258-2568 or visit us online at sarahbush.org audiology. Welcome to Health Styles. This is Lori Banks along with Sarah Bush Lincoln audiologist Jennifer Schunk. If you're finding yourself turning up the TV, you ask people to repeat themselves, or you nod your head more than you want to because you just can't make out exactly what the other person just said, this podcast is for you. Today we're talking about hearing loss, hearing tests, and how to preserve your hearing. Let's get started by having Jennifer explain what is an audiologist and what is the scope of their practice. Hello. Hi. An audiologist is a person that specializes in the diagnosis and treatment of hearing, balance disorders, um, and other things related to the hearing mechanism. Audiologists go to school for um, a doctoral degree, so it is a doctoral level uh, profession. And it's something that we see variants of patients from birth to as old as you can be. So you actually do hearing tests on newborn babies? Yes. Um, it's actually a state law in most states that all babies are screened um, prior to discharge from the hospital. So if we have a hearing loss at that age, we want to catch it as soon as possible so that it doesn't affect speech and language and other development uh, later in life. So yes, all babies at our hospital and in Illinois and most of the country for that matter are screened okay. at birth. Yes. Jennifer, what actually happens in the ear to cause hearing loss? Oh, there's lots of different things. Um, there's three main components that cause hearing loss, if you will. Age, genetics, noise damage. Um, for kids, we see ear infections, uh, problems that are quote unquote fixable. Um, that's when you would be referred to your primary doctor and then potentially an ear, nose, throat or an ENT physician because those hearing losses can be managed and fixed with medication or surgical intervention. If it's a noise-related hearing loss, that's sensory neural hearing loss, that's permanent nerve damage. Um, typically, there's not a lot surgically, or actually there's nothing surgically or, or um, with medication to fix that. You look at amplification options, such as hearing aids. Um, with the profound hearing loss would be a cochlear implant, uh, potentially a bone-anchored hearing aid. But there's lots of different options how we can help, not necessarily, <clears throat> excuse me, fix but help that hearing loss. Are there certain illnesses that can also cause hearing loss? 
Um, there's other illnesses, you know, uh, in the rare case, you may come across a virus, which there's no rhyme or reason to that. My take home on that is that it's very important to get to your physician and um, be seen by an ear specialist, an ENT, as soon as possible so that we can manage that. There's a very small time window um, that we can treat that. Primary physicians typically will start um, with an evaluation and make sure it's not wax because that's an easy fix. Mm -hmm. Um, It may be fluid. You may suffer from seasonal allergies that creates a little bit of a temporary hearing loss. But whenever you're having trouble hearing, it's, it's important to see your physician about that. As adults, we know we should have different types of screenings at certain ages, such as a colonoscopy at age 50. So when should we be having a hearing test and how often? There's no magic age to start. Uh, Typically, I tell patients, you know, it's good to have a baseline at some point in your adult life. Most people have hearing testing um, throughout their school education. And then once you become an adult, it goes to the backside. So um, at some point, I feel like it's important to have a baseline test, whether you're in your 20s, 30s, or 40s. there's, there's no right age. Mm-hmm. Insurances typically will cover a hearing test as part of a periodic physical every year, every two or three. Just depends on the policy. Um, definitely, I would say if your family is noticing that you're having trouble hearing or bugging you about your hearing <laughs> loss, then it's time. Most people don't notice a hearing loss within themselves. Typically, the family members or friends start to say, hey, you're not hearing well. And, and that's a definite indicator that it's time to, to come and see us. Why is hearing loss something we tend to just live with? We wouldn't go around not wearing glasses or contacts, but a lot of people live with hearing loss. Well, and I think that's something like what I just mentioned. I think it's something that people don't recognize within themselves when they can't hear. They blame others for mumbling or it's poor reception on the TV. There's so many things that we can blame it on and it's gradual. Most people don't wake up the next day and they can't hear. It just becomes their quote unquote new normal. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, refer to your family and friends and if they're nudging you or bugging you about a hearing problem, it's time to come see us. So Jennifer, if people listening have not had a hearing test since grade school, can you explain what's involved now and what we can expect? So when you come to see us for a hearing test, it's, it's a much more involved test than what you remember from grade school. Grade school was the beeps, m- probably a screening level um, to, to see if you could hear at a certain level. With us, we're going to uh, obviously start with a, a case history, an otoscopic exam to make sure it's not wax or something in, in there that's creating a false hearing loss. We'll do um, some middle ear measurements to make sure there's not fluid behind the eardrum. And then you'll do the famous beeps where you'll raise your hand when you hear them. Um, We do low frequency to high frequency or low pitch to high pitch. There's a lot of speech testing involved to determine how well cognitively your brain can understand because that's another thing that people confuse hearing and cognition with. You can hear, but you can't understand. A lot of times that's a high frequency hearing loss. Um, So... Once we do the speech testing, then we know if that hearing loss is nerve damage, if it's more of a, a problem that you need to see an ear specialist to, see, um, to fix, such as fluid or ear infection um, or something more involved. Um, but a hearing test doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it can be completed in about 20 minutes, maybe 45, depending on the case. After going through all those tests, what do the results tell you as the audiologist? What are you looking for? 
So it's called an audiogram, and that's how we plot. Um, when you look at an audiogram, the O's are for your right ear, the X's are for your left ear. There's a normal range in, that's measured in decibels. So 0 to 25 for most clinics is considered normal hearing limits. Um, 30 dB is a whisper. 50 to 70 is average conversational level, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we plot those O's and the X's. Uh, with each frequency or pitch level that we test. And that helps us determine what type of hearing loss, if you have one, um, exists and how we can help manage that for you. So if it ends up that you have hearing loss, what's going to be the next step? The results of the audiogram will dictate your next step. Mm -hmm. um, for some patients, it is a referral to an ear, nose, throat physician uh, for surgical options or uh, medication intervention. For other patients, it's amplification. Mm -hmm. And when I say amplification, I mean hearing aids. Some patients need one. Most patients need two. Um, you have two ears for a reason, so it makes sense if the, the ears are hearing equally to put amplification on both. Um, we counsel a lot in terms of what your hearing level, your, your, what your hearing loss and your life um, needs. Mm -hmm. uh, someone who's more busy um, and involved are going to need more speech um, enhancements, more background noise management than say somebody who's in a nursing home and at the end stage of their life. So needs are different in terms of what the amplification can offer, but there's lots of different options. So after the audiogram, we talk about hearing aids, um, if that's where you're headed and what you wanna do. Let's talk a little bit about hearing aids. Um, they're not the same one that your grandfather or your father wore 30 years ago. They have changed a lot, and it might not be your grandpa that needs your hearing aids. We fit <laughs> all ages, uh -huh. so a lot of people equate a hearing aid with age and getting older, um, which is not always the case. Um, a lot of people in their early 30s and 40s are recognizing that they're having trouble understanding speech. They hear just fine but processing they're having trouble. Um, so the, the hearing aids that your grandpa wore, um, it's not necessarily what's out there anymore. They're, they're digital, so they're gonna be programmed through a computer and the sound quality of the chip itself is a digital sound quality. So that's a, a more clean, crisp sound quality, if you will. Then the new ones can be rechargeable, so that's a nice option in terms of battery use. Mm -hmm. They can pair with Bluetooth to um, smartphones, devices, pad, um, iPads, that kind of thing. So they are definitely not like what your grandpa wore. Jennifer, how does a hearing aid actually work? There's three components to a hearing aid. You've got the microphone that picks up the sound. The amplifier receives that sound, makes it louder. Actually, the receiver does that, and then the amplifier makes it louder. Um, so yeah, you have a little microphone in your ear and it picks up everything. So mm -hmm. that's something that's hard for people to get used to. Um, but with continual use, right expectation, a lot of people have really good success. Um, at the end of the day, if you want it, it's gonna work. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, it may be something that you table for a year and revisit when you're ready for it. Um, so it's not like putting glasses on that you put on and boom, you can see really clearly. Hearing aids do make everything louder. A microphone amplifies, it's, it makes everything louder. So when you think about when you're at an outdoor function and you hear the wind covering that microphone, same thing happens with the hearing aid microphone. The more repeated exposure you have, the more access you give your brain, the better it's gonna start to plug those background sounds back in the background. Mm -hmm. So I invite patients, you know, after a hearing test before we get hearing aids, to go home and listen to the sounds of their house. You hear the refrigerator kick on. You don't listen for it. 
because your brain has trained itself that it's not a quote important sound. Mm -hmm. So it puts it into the background. When you initially get hearing aids, whoa, that refrigerator is loud. You probably don't need a new refrigerator. You just need to give your brain time to settle down and eventually that will go back in the background mm -hmm. to where it's not front and center for you. That's hard to do. Uh, some patients put them on and off they go. And the next person it takes, it takes a while to get used to. Um, and in six months, they'll come back and say, you know, I'm hearing better with them. Don't love them, but I hear better with them than I do without. So it, it's worth working on. How has COVID and everyone wearing a mask affected people where, with hearing loss and wearing hearing aids? You bring up the mask. That's an interesting thought. And it's, it's actually bringing a lot of people into our office that previously might not have. You don't think about it, but your brain lip reads. People think lip reading oh, yeah. is a bad behavior. It's not. Putting a mask on, we've taken away that sensory input that your brain has relied on for so long. Um, so it's good to lip read when you can. Mm -hmm. Masks prevent that. Um, in terms of putting glasses off and on, that shouldn't interfere with hearing aids. Mm -hmm. If they're fitted properly, you should be able to take them off and on. Um, if you do it correctly, <laughs> um, sometimes people do it with one arm and that'll whop that hearing aid off the opposite ear. But um, the masks, that has been a challenge with some of the hearing aids, but for the most part, that shouldn't, shouldn't stop you from yeah. wearing the hearing aid. What about surgical options? I understand it's not for every type of hearing loss. So we talked about uh, fluid and ear infections in kiddo. A surgical option would be a placement of pressure equalization tubes or PE mm -hmm. tubes. Um, if it's a sensory neural hearing loss that someone is either born with or the hearing loss progresses over time, you start with hearing aids. When we show that hearing aids aren't beneficial, they're not helping that person, then that's sometimes a, a case where we'll refer to an otologist for a cochlear implant. Uh, a lot of people are not candidates for cochlear implant because it is a very characteristic type of hearing loss but a lot of people are that don't realize it. So um, there's lots of variables that go into evaluating a person for a cochlear implant. Another option would be what we call a Baja, which stands for bone anchored hearing aid. That's another surgical option that is a unique niche of patients. Not everybody qualifies or needs that. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, we don't do cochlear implants or the Bajas here at Sarah Bush. You would uh, be referred to an otologist rather than a general ENT like what we have here. I want to talk about prevention. As an audiologist, what are your recommendations in terms of preserving our hearing? If there's any take-home message that you take from this podcast, if you are in a situation and you have to shout to be heard, it's too loud. You should have noise protection on. So when you're mowing the yard, running the leaf blower, if you're a firearm user uh, for target practice or hunting, if you uh, have hobbies, woodworking, um, heavy equipment, um, factory work, anywhere you have to shout to be heard is too loud and potentially can and will damage your hearing. Um, kids with AirPods are a concern for us um, because they're loud. They're, they're, some of them are noise limiting. They do make headphones for kids that you can limit the output of the headphone. Kids don't like it because they can't get it as loud as they want to. But uh, long term, there's a, there's a research study out of Boys Town that's showing that college-age kids that are wearing the headphones and the, the AirPods and whatnot are showing noise-induced hearing loss because mm -hmm. it's too loud. With a whole generation of young people wearing earbuds, do you think that group of people will experience greater hearing loss? 
Yes and no. So the screenings that they do at school may or may not catch that hearing loss because it may, you know, hearing loss is gradual. It's not like you flip a switch and you can't hear for most people. Um, it's something that over time it gets gradually worse. So by the time kids are done with high school, they're not doing routine screenings anymore. So we're not probably going to catch it at that point. It's the kids, um, once they get to their first place of employment, usually post-college is when they start noticing um, that they're not hearing as well. Mm -hmm. And it may coincide with some cognitive changes. As we age, cognitive function changes. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm 46. <laughs> At my age, I'm noticing that if I'm in the car and my kids are in the back seat, if the radio's on and they're talking to me, I have to turn the radio off. I can hear both. Processing-wise, I want something to go away so that I can focus better. I have normal hearing. That's a processing thing. Mm -hmm. um, so for kids with AirPo AirPods or, or noise-induced hearing loss um, from wearing earplugs or ear, um, earbuds. earphones, yeah, yeah, earbuds, it's something a lot of times we don't, we don't find until they're in their 30s. As we get older, is hearing loss just part of aging? Yes and no. Okay. It just depends on genetics, noise damage, um, what kind of lifestyle you lead. You know, if, if you're clubbing through college, if you work in a factory, if you have military service, um, anything where there's noise and you should have had ear protection and you didn't, that's going to contribute to hearing loss. As you get older, that age is just going to couple onto that, that noise damage. Mm -hmm. So yes and no. I want to finish up by you telling us a story of uh, when one of your patients gets a hearing aid after they've maybe lived with hearing loss for a while. What is typically their reaction? Oh, that's a good question because everybody is so different. And I try really hard after the hearing test to counsel a good expectation. You're not going to hear like you did when you were 10 years old. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that we can do to get that. Um, so... You know, it's always fun to put hearing aids on a patient, and initially some people are, oh, I can hear that clock ticking, or, you know, I can hear that paper, your pen. And then as they sit and we, we talk about the different things to do and not to do with the devices, pretty soon they say, well, I'm not struggling to hear you as much. Or something will happen throughout the visit where we take the hearing aids off to make it a, a physical adjustment, and they'll say, I can't hear you. I, can I have them back? And so that's always a positive thing. Um, sometimes we don't get that. <laughs> sometimes the person is not ready for amplification and it's not such a positive turnout. But I always invite patients to let's do your hearing test. Let's follow up in another year or two and see where you are and just stay on top of it rather than push it aside and not come back at all. So, you know, a lot of times I'll tell patients, you don't have to do this right now. You tried it. We're going to table it for a while, and that's okay. But those ones that are, are the light bulb going off to, oh, I can't believe I've been missing this for so long, are the ones that are always fun to watch. Thanks, Jennifer, for giving us great information and sound advice when it comes to our hearing. Now, if you're experiencing hearing problems, don't wait to get it checked out. As Jennifer said, most insurance will cover a hearing exam every year or two, depending on your policy. And no matter your age, getting a baseline test is always a good idea. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Health Styles. I'm your host, Lori Banks, and I hope you'll listen to all of our other podcasts, which feature a range of health topics from the health professionals at Sarah Bush Lincoln. You can learn more at sarahbush.org slash podcasts.